the choir look great? You look great too, just not the choir. Appreciate all y'all today. And uh, Terry, didn't they sing well today? They sang well today out there, didn't it? Even did the calisthenics with the responsive reading very well. And uh, appreciate that today. Well, years ago, before cell phones, y'all remember those days? I, I actually remember them. Well, the preacher's car broke down as he was on a country road. And so he walked to a nearby roadhouse. That's the only place he could go to get a phone back in the day. Walked into this old roadhouse, and he saw his old friend, a guy named Frank, who was sitting at the bar with too many drinks in him and just was dressed all shabbily. And he said, Frank, what happened to you? What are you doing here? Why are you dressed like that? And, and he told of uh, some bad investments that he had made that led to his bankruptcy and and then he said, I just don't know what to do. I just know where to go, know where to turn. And so the preacher said, well, listen, go home and uh, open your Bible up and then just, just close your eyes and just take your finger and just point at the word in the Bible and whatever you get, that's God's answer for you. And he thought, okay, that seems strange, but I'll do it. So uh, sometimes later, the, the preacher was driving down in the city this time and, and, he, and he bumped into Frank again and, and, and he was wearing a, a Gucci suit he was, had a Rolex watch and just stepped out of a brand new Mercedes. And he said, Frank, I'm glad things have finally turned around for you. What happened? And, and he said, you know, preacher, I owe it all to you. I, I, I left that roadhouse that night. I came home, opened my Bible. I, I closed my eyes. I put my finger on the page. And there was the answer. Chapter 11. <laughs> Took you a while on that one. Whew. I was worried there was going to be a trap door to swallow me up. <laughs> Bankruptcy is what that is, in case you didn't know. Anyway, we would all agree that we should seek answers from God's word. Uh, maybe not that way. Well, that's really the longest in between. Uh, okay, anyway, glad you got it. Uh, seek answers from God's word, but maybe not that way. As we seek to continue to rebuild our church, continue to rebuild our lives out of the pandemic, we can't overlook the necessity of putting ourselves under the authority of God's Word. So we are in Nehemiah chapter 8 today, starting in verse 1. I'm just going to read the first four verses. We're going to be throughout the whole chapter. It says in verse 1, And all the people gathered as one man... And to the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, so that the Lord had commanded, that the Lord had commanded Israel. Verse 2. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday. In the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform they had made for the purpose. Heavenly Father, as we continue to worship uh, you today, uh, we do thank you for the privilege of, of living where we live. Uh, even though uh, none of us, Lord, were asked to be born into this world, uh, you have ordained all of our lives, and we thank you for that. We thank you that we can freely worship you in spirit and in truth today. We thank you that we could come here today and, and hear from you as we hear a word from you today, Lord. 
I pray that as we hear about the importance of your word from your word, Lord, that you would show each and every one of us how it applies not only to our church, but directly to our lives. And Father, I pray normally as I do, Lord, that, that, that you would speak through me, your messenger, that you would fill me with your spirit today. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Today I want to give you three obligations, three obligations we should perform when it comes to the Word of God. And I have some subpoints this week as well, but that, that comes straight from the scripture. But three obligations we should perform when it comes to God's Word. Number one, when it comes to God's Word, we should revere God's Word. We should revere God's Word. If we're going to take the importance of the Word of God seriously, we need to revere it. We need to love it. We need to respect it. We need to revere it. How do we do this? Well, we see here in this passage uh, a pattern. In letter A, we revere God's Word by reading it. We revere God's Word by reading it. After the wall was rebuilt and after Nehemiah had, had settled the city with new families, they gathered the people together. Look at verse 1. Now all the people gathered as one man into the square, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So that Ezra the priest, he brought the law before the assembly. And it says that both men and women and all who could understand what they heard were there. And it says, verse 3, and he read it facing the square from early morning until midday. And you thought a 30-minute sermon was long. Early morning to midday, he just opened up the Bible with Genesis 1-1 and started reading it. That's what the book of the law was. It was the first five books of the Old Testament. And all that, all that could hear it would hear it. And all the ears of the people were attentive to the book of the law. The first public thing they did, remember what had happened. He built the wall, but then there was nobody living in the city. So he recruited people to come back to the city and to build new houses and establish old houses and, and re, you know, uh, redo houses and all these kind of things. And he finally gets them into the city. And what's the first thing they do? He has an assembly and they read the, wall, the, the, the God's law together. And they read and they hear the reading of God's word, the, specifically the law, the Tanakh, the first five books. And said so that Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. Get him elevated on a wooden platform so he could see out and people could hear. And beside him stood uh, all these names I'm not going to read. All, right. all, all these people here stood, leaders as well that he had appointed. One way we can show reverence to God's word is simply by reading it. it, it, it's, it God's word is it's living, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It, there's power when God's word is read. It will never return void. In fact, I could stand up here for 30 minutes and just read the word of God to you, and it could be as powerful as if I got up and preached, maybe sometimes more. Just reading God's word, it will never return void. So we, we read it in worship. We read it in Bible study. We read it privately. This is why we, we publish a reading plan for you every week for you to read. So we revere God's word when we read it. Secondly, we revere God's word by respecting it. By respecting it. Verse 5. And Ezra opened the book 
in the sight of all the people, and for, and for he was above all the people. And as he opened it all, the people stood. This is where a lot of times you may hear see a preacher who will say, let's stand in honor of the God's word, reading God's word. A lot of times I'll do that. I've done it before. Um, it, this is where they get that from. Right? He op- but he opened the book. And as soon as he opened it up, the people stood. Right? They stood as a way to show respect for God's word. This is being read publicly for the first time in who knows how long. Verse 6. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads, and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. That's one thing that pastors won't ask you to do, is put your face to the ground. I'm not sure we'd have enough room to do that in here. But they stood, they heard God's word, he prayed, they bowed their heads, and they, they laid prostrate on the ground, humbling themselves. They respected the reading of God's word. They they showed reverence. They showed respect to it. And see, we can revere God's word by teaching it. can revere by teaching. Look at verse 7. It said, also, Jeshua, Benai, and all these, these men, it said they helped the people to understand the law. They helped the people to understand the law. While the people remained in their places. So they read from the book, it says, verse 8, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense <laughs> so that the people understood the reading. It made sense. You know, anyone can read the Bible if you can read, but it may not always make sense. We may not always really understand the context or the theology, so it helps for people who have understood it, who have been taught, who have learned the Bible, to then teach others it takes more than a preacher to disciple others in teaching the bible it it takes other teachers this is why we have student pastors and children's teachers and sunday school teachers and all these things it's incumbent on all of god's people to disciple all of god's people a grandmother once told her granddaughter rest up tomorrow we're going to church and we're going to sunday school and the granddaughter said, oh, I don't like Sunday school. And the grandmother said, well, we need to learn more about God. That's why we go. We go to Sunday school, we learn more about him, and then we go worship him. And the granddaughter said, I learned about him last week. And the grandmother said, well, honey, I've been going to church all my life, and I've been going to Sunday school all my life, and I haven't even learned enough. And the granddaughter said, well, maybe you weren't paying attention. <laughs> Those of us who've been around enough, long enough no you can never learn enough of what god has to say to us amen you can never learn enough the more you learn the more you realize you don't know enough one way we revere god's word is by teaching it some small groups may have fellowship little to no discussion or teaching and it's fine to have a small group And small groups can take many forms. But one thing a small group must have is people teaching and explaining what God's word means. We revere God's word by teaching it. So first point is we can revere God's word. Secondly, we should respond to God's word. We should respond to God's word. When God's word is read, when it's taught, 
it necessitates some type of response from the hearer. When you hear God's word, you've got to do something with what you've heard. You can think about it. You can let it sink in and you can make changes in your life. Or you can ignore it and act like you didn't hear it. Or you can say, well, you know what? That doesn't apply to me. But there is a response when you hear God's word preached, when you hear it read. You can't, you, you can't ignore it, but you cannot have a response. How did the people respond when they heard God's word being read and explained for the first time in ages? Well, first thing they did was they cried. They wept. Letter A, we, how can we respond to God's word? We respond by sometimes we have to weep over our sin. Weep over our sin. Look at verse 9. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Now, why, why were they crying? Why did they weep? Well, this is the natural emotion for a heart that is convicted of its sin. I wonder when the last time was that they heard the word of God. Can't even imagine hearing the word of God read aloud. Imagine never not having access to a Bible, having access to the word. And then the governor stands up and reads all of the Tanakh, all the Pentateuch, the first five books, reads it out loud. First time you hear it, and you see and you understand that God's holy. You understand that that, that God is above all. And you understand your sin in light of who God is. See, we don't adjust God's word to line up with our own thinking. That's what many try to do. We, we, we have our own way of thinking, and then we go to the Bible, and we read through it, and we say, well, this is good here, this is good. But you know what? This is a little outdated. I'm going to ignore that. But you know what, this doesn't apply to me. Yeah, but this, but yeah, but that, but this didn't really work for me. And, you know, but I, this is good. So I, I'll, I'll quote this on social media, but that right there I'm never going to quote because I don't agree with it or I don't know how that will be received. So we don't adjust the Bible to our way of thinking. We, we adjust our way of thinking to what God has already said what God has already spoken. One scholar quoted this. He said, men do not reject the Bible because it contradicts itself, but because it contradicts them. And when we do realize this, we do, we do realize where we've sinned and we've fallen short, this should cause some sort of emotional response. Weeping is a good thing when it's over your sin in light of a holy God. But it doesn't just end there. This is not just some religion where we feel bad about our sin all the time. Where we feel guilty all the time. Yes, that's part of it, understanding that we need to turn from our sins. But we don't just end there. That would be a dead legalism, a dead religion, a dead moralism. B, we respond also by rejoicing over God's grace. Rejoicing over God's grace. And he says in verse 10, then he said to them, 
go your way. Eat the fat and, and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Amen. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Not your goals. Not your schedule. Not your job. Not your family. Not your spouse. Not your work ethic. The joy of the Lord is in. Your strength is in. The joy of the Lord. Your strength's not in anything else you can manufacture. Your strength comes from joy in knowing God. Your strength comes in knowing that there's a God who, yes, he created the universe and the heavens and the earth, but he also saw that his creation had plunged headlong into sin. And there's no way to be made right back with him without him getting involved. So he sent the man Jesus, who was fully man, fully God, to live this life, to live a life of sinlessness that we couldn't live, to then take the death and the judgment and the punishment that was meant for us, for our sin, take it all on the cross. And by bearing the shame of the cross was then crucified and killed and murdered and buried, and on the third day he rose again. And he rose again that whoever would believe in that truth would be saved, would find salvation, would find reconciliation to God. And so we rejoice in God's word. Because while, yes, it shows us God's glory and it shows how we have fallen short, it also shows God's love and God's salvation. So we should rejoice over God's grace, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. Verse 11. I love this verse. So the Levites calmed all the people. <laughs> they calmed them all, saying, be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not just merely be grieved. Verse 12. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions to make great rejoicing because they understood the words that were declared to them. You see, the first five books of the Bible didn't have Jesus' name specifically in there. But all through the scripture, there is still a hope and a promise that there was a Messiah to come. Even way back in Genesis 3, there's hints of this Messiah that would be coming for them. And so they knew there was a great hope to come. We live in the New Testament age where we understand a great hope came. And their faith was in the hope that would to come, the Messiah. And so they knew they had hope because of who God was. And so we should respond to God's word. Yes, we, we weep over our sin, but then we rejoice. We rejoice in who God is and what he's done for. And number three, we should prioritize God's word. We should <clears throat> prioritize God's word. When you are putting a schedule together, when you are making goals in your life, make room for the word of God. How do they prior prioritize it? We'll see here letter A. They prioritize it by studying it. They read it. It didn't just sit on a coffee table like this, collecting dust. 
They opened it up. They read it. Look at verse 13. On the second day, the heads of fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra, the scribe, in order to study the words of the law. So on day one, what did they do? They read the law. I imagine Nehemiah's voice got tired. Reading it all, and the people listened to it. The whole thing. Imagine the emotional place that would take you. Hearing all of God all at once. It's a lot. It's powerful. Then they rejoiced, and then they, they wept, and they rejoiced, and then they went home, and they probably slept well. And what did they do the next day? They didn't say, praise the Lord, that day's over. Let's go about our lives. No. They said, we heard this. Now we want to know more about it. Tell us what it means. And so the heads of the father's houses, all the men, all the dads, they met with the priests. They met with the Levites. They came together to Ezra the scribe to study the words of the law. Teach me what this means so I can teach my family. What a community it would be if all the fathers of the homes would come to the leaders of the church and say, teach me what this means so I can teach my family. They had been so affected by just the simple reading of God's word. They wanted to know more about it. They came to study it. What does it say? What should we do? We should get our daily direction from the word of God. There's a story of a man who was coming in for surgery, and he went in to have his consultation with the surgeon, and he, and he walked in uh, to, the, uh, to his room, and the surgeon was already in there, which is odd, because usually if you ever have surgery, you're waiting around for the surgeon sometimes. He's already in the room. And he was sitting at the little desk there in the room. And he was reading a Bible. And so the uh, man looked at it, and, and he said, oh, you're reading the Bible right there. And the surgeon said, yeah, I was reading it. He said, does it, does it help you with your operations? Does it, does it help you before the operation or, or after the operation? And the surgeon said, it helps me during the operation. See, when we study the Word of God, it doesn't help us before our day. It doesn't help us after our day. When we study the Word of God, it helps us during our day. It helps us in the everyday minutes of life. The everyday things that we do. It helps us drive through a flood on 52 at 4 o'clock on a Saturday. Like that's never happened before, right? It helps us navigate work issues. It helps us parent children and 100-pound dogs. It helps us do every little thing that God's called us to do. Not before, after, but during. So we, we prioritize God's word by, by studying it. It helps us. B, we prioritize God's word by discovering it. The more you read it, the more you discover something. The more you mine for gold, the more gold you find. Look at verse 14. And they found it written in the law, something they should be doing. 
wait a second, we're supposed to be doing something right now. That the Lord had commanded that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. This was the feast of booths they had not been doing. There were several feasts throughout the year that would commemorate God saving them from Egypt and taking them across the desert into the promised land. And one of the festivals was the Feast of Booths. What is a booth? Well, it was basically a little shanty, a little, a little hut that they would build, like a tent. We would basically have a tent now. And they would leave their homes, and they would live in a tent, basically, or a little hut for a week. Why would they do that? To remind them that they used to live in tents in the desert. That this home that they live in now is been given to them by God's grace and God's blessing, but they, it could not be the case. They could be living in a tent. So for a week, they would leave the comfort of their own homes, and they would make a little booth, and the family would live together for a week. What a humbling thing. What, 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 what something that God had made to make them remember. God took them out rescued them, and let them force to understand what that would be like. I can imagine my family doing this right now. We're going camping for a week. Leave your phones at the house. All of us together in a little tent. Wake up with the baby's foot in my nose. All right? I can just imagine it. A humbling thing that they did. They discovered that they should be doing something. Look at verse 15. And that they should proclaim it and they should publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive and wild olive and myrtle and palm and other leafy trees and make trees to make booths as it's written. This is what were the instructions. So they went out and they made these booths. If we don't study the word of God, we can't discover what it says. Can't just take this Bible and just put it up to your head. <laughs> you can't just open it up and point to a word because you might get chapter 11 if you do that. You have to read it, study it, and discover truths you did not know were there. Now, they had heard all this, all this read aloud on that one day where they had it all once. But now they're reading it, and they're saying, wait a second, this is the time of year we're supposed to be doing this feast. That leads to, number, to letter C. Finally, when we discover it, C, we do what it says. We obey it. This is the tricky part. We can read it. We can find what it is we're supposed to be doing. But then we got to do it. Amen? Which is why God helps us. He gives us the grace to do it. Verse 16. As a pastor, you love reading this part. Look what he says. So the people went out and they brought them and they made booths for themselves. Each on his roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square at the water gate. Now remember, Nehemiah just recruited all these people to move back into the city. They moved back in. They built these houses. They're living in this house. And he says, all right, now you're going to move out for a week. <laughs> you're going to build a little, a little booth. You're going to live in it. Verse 17. And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths. 
So for from the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, to that day, the people of Israel had not done so. For all these years, they had not done it. There was no memory of this. The parents didn't do it. The grandparents didn't do it. The great-grandparents didn't do it. They didn't remember any of it. So much of tradition and how you do things and how you act is passed down from families. They had none of that. So you know what they had to do? They had to actually do exactly what God's word says because nobody had lived through it. There was no, hey, does this look right to you? (laughs) Is this how it's supposed to look? I've never seen one before. So they had to do what God's word said to do. It says that when they did it, there was very great rejoicing. See, sometimes obeying God causes us to, to leave comforts. Causes us to do things we wouldn't normally do. But when we've done it, we've obeyed them, there is rejoicing in knowing we have pleased the God who saved us. And verse 18 says this. And day by day, from the last day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law. And this is during the feast. And they kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to to the rule. The best way we prioritize God's word is by doing what it says. We're to be hearers, not doers only. Well, there was a story of a park ranger at Yellowstone National Park, and he was leading a group of hikers throughout the area. And then he was telling the hikers about all the little flowers and the animals and he kept getting these uh, beeps on his two-way radio, and they were distracting, so he, he turned it off. <laughs> Probably not a good idea, right? And as he was nearing the tower, he was, the ranger was met by the lookout where he was going to. He said, why have you not responded to the messages I've been giving you? He said, well, I turned them off. And he said, a grizzly bear has been stalking the group. I was trying to let you know as the lookout could see it. He was trying to warn them that they might be in danger. How many times do we close our Bible, we put our phone away, we open up a bunch of apps, we don't open up the Bible app. God has sent us messages that can save our life. And we're too busy looking at the flowers, too busy talking about this, talking about that. God says, I've given you all you need. Right here. Don't don't turn off the messages. As we continue to rebuild our church, it's so good to see people here. So good to see people there. As we continue to do it, we can't rebuild without God's word being the foundation. Everything we do at First Baptist Church is founded on the Word of God because He's the one that's giving us the messages and He's the one that's going to keep us from danger and save our life and give us the success that He says we'll have. Heavenly Father, as we close our time together today, we thank You. And You have given us the Word of God, Your Word. As we continue to rebuild our lives and our families and our church involvement and all these things and our worship, 
We'll never forget that it's all founded on your word, what you've said, what you've spoken about. So, Father, as we close our time together today, if there's one in here that's never placed their faith in you, that never responded to your word in faith, you would save them today and that they would do so. Father, in our time of invitation today, I pray that people would make changes in their lives if they need to based on your word today, based on hearing your word, and that you would give them the joy of obedience when they obey it. Father, we love you. We give this time to you today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.